Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer here at iHeartRadio. And how the tech are ya? It is Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. It is time to talk about tech news. And first up, I've got a follow-up on the story of Sam Bankman-Fried, the co-founder of crypto companies Alameda Research and the crypto exchange FTX. So just in case a few of y'all out there are out of the loop on this story, FTX collapsed late last year and prompted a suite of investigations into the company and its executive leadership team, including Sam Bankman-Fried, also known as SBF. So authorities charged SBF with like a ton of crimes, <laughs> several crimes, and he is awaiting trial. And until recently, he was just under house arrest. He was staying with his parents. But now he has been ordered to go straight to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 FTT tokens. So you might say, well, what, what happened? What was the change? Prosecutors brought concerns to the judge and said SBF had been leaking documents to the media, potentially in an effort to intimidate a witness that they were speaking with uh, with regard to his case. 
So the judge took this seriously and has revoked the house arrest order and SBF will have to go to jail while awaiting his trial, which is a big old woof. SBF tried to appeal this decision, but the judge dismissed that appeal, saying the points that his legal team made in the document were, quote, either moot or without merit, end quote. Double woof. The prosecution also asked the judge to place a gag order on SBF so that he doesn't continue to leak information to the media. And that has then prompted various media outlets to submit court filings on First Amendment concerns, you know, free speech concerns about that gag order, saying it violates his First Amendment rights to freedom of speech. And this is a delicate matter, obviously, when you have an issue where communications can actually impact the legal process. Uh, it does or can at least come into conflict with the the philosophies behind freedom of speech. So complicated issues. We're seeing that play out in other arenas here in the United States as well. Okay, now it's time to talk about AI for just, um, okay, I can't lie, for a lot. So first up, the hacker conference known as DEF CON happened this past weekend. And one of the many events that were held over the, the weekend at DEF CON was one that pitted hackers against AI chatbots. And this included bots from all the major players in the space like OpenAI and Google and Meta and others. So the purpose of the session was to test these chatbots for vulnerabilities, and it didn't involve like hacking into the code, but rather just chatting with the chatbots and seeing if you could make it do stuff it wasn't supposed to do. Uh, finding a vulnerability in an exhibition at DEF CON is probably embarrassing, but it's preferable to some bad actor out in the real world finding that vulnerability and then exploiting it to terrible effect. So these hackers were trying to manipulate the chatbots to, to do things they absolutely were not supposed to do. That included like sharing private information that was supposed to be protected or produce examples of hate speech or misinformation or making defamatory statements about famous people, that kind of thing. In fact, uh, they had different categories for stuff that the chatbots were not supposed to do and points associated with those those tasks. So if you got the chatbot to do one of those things, you would get that amount of points to your score. NPR covered the story and mentioned how one participant was able to convince a chatbot to reveal a credit card number by just changing the context a little. The participant claimed that his name was the number on that credit card. Then he asked the chatbot, what's my name? And the chatbot supplied the number in response. And that's kind of out of the box thinking, right? Because the chatbot seemed to be contextualizing the credit card number as not being a number, but instead it was just a person's name. And because a person's name is not protected information, especially if the person who's talking to you is the one who, who belongs to that name, it handed the information over. And it's not like a fantasy or horror novel where names can have secret powers and you don't want anyone to know your true name. That's not how it works in chatbot land. So if it thinks this credit card number is actually a name, well, there's no reason you can't say a name, right? That's how simple it was to make this one chatbot do something it was not supposed to do. And so the chatbot coughed up the information. So each participant had 50 minutes to complete as many tasks as they possibly could and accumulate points in the process, and also illustrating how far we have to go in order to make generative AI trustworthy. 
This next story is one that I missed when it broke last Thursday. The U.S. Department of Defense announced it is creating a task force specifically focused on generative AI. This task force has the designation Lima, or Lima if you prefer, like the bean, and will explore potential uses and threats regarding generative AI and large language models. Uh, I imagine that the people who will be in this task force are already well aware of the limitations of generative AI technology and how it can be impressive and even useful, but that you have to be really cautious because it can also sometimes be unreliable. At least I would like to think that the task members are aware of all that. It's hard to imagine that they're not, but you know, you get nervous. The press release from the DOD mentions that the DOD recognizes the potential of generative AI to significantly improve intelligence, operational planning, and administrative and business processes. However, responsible implementation is key to managing associated risks effectively. So at least it sounds like the DOD wants a very steady approach to this and is aware things could go pear-shaped if, if you aren't being careful with it. It still makes me nervous to think of generative AI being used in concert with like gathering and analyzing intelligence because we know that generative AI has a tendency to hallucinate in the event that it doesn't have all the information it needs in order to answer a question. Uh, it actually made me think of a scene from the British comedy series Black Adder, specifically season four, which is set in World War One. There's a, a sequence where Captain Black Adder uh, commands his subordinate, Lieutenant George, to paint a scene that shows German forces being far too powerful at their position. And this is in an effort to convince leadership not to command his division to advance. So essentially he's saying, oh, we couldn't possibly advance. The uh, Germans are far too entrenched and have far too many resources, and it would be a disaster. George, though, he gets carried away while making this painting of these these as far as they know, fictional German forces. And they he ends up including stuff like battle elephants and stuff like that inside the painting, uh, which Captain Blackadder does his best to incorporate into his report to his his uh, superiors. So I imagine generative AI producing equally fake intelligence, right? Like, how can you trust any intelligence provided by generative AI without doing so much extensive double checking that you might actually negate any benefit that the generative AI gave you, right? If it takes you more time to verify the information than it would if you just didn't use the AI at all, then really you're playing a losing game. Uh, this is also what I argue with AI-generated articles, where you have to have an editor go over the article because typically you would have a human writer who is vetted to write an article, and then the editor would double check the article for things like, you know, grammatical mistakes and just anything that stands out. But generally, you're fairly confident that the writer has turned in something without just making stuff up. This can come back to bite you, as we have seen multiple times, but usually it, it works out. But with AI, you can't be sure about that. And so if you give AI generated articles to editors, often they have to go through the article with such a fine tooth comb that they essentially have rewritten the article themselves. Like it's a, as if you had given the writing assignment to the editor and not to an AI, you know, bot in the first place. And that's a real problem. That's what I worry about 
with the use of AI in, in connection with gathering intelligence. Okay, how about we talk about a case where a government is using AI to repress information? Yay! How fun! So I'm going to try and get through this without going on too much of a rant. Uh, but the story is that in Iowa, the state government passed legislation that bans books in school libraries if those books include material not deemed to be quote-unquote age-appropriate. So that includes any book that describes a sex act. Anything like that is immediately like on that banned list. But then how does a school go about doing that, right? Because libraries are, I don't know if you know this, they are absolutely chock-a-block with books. And it would take a considerable amount of time and effort to go through every single book to see if that book met the government's definition of age appropriate or if it did not. So one school district in Mason City is leaning on AI to do that work for them. Now, what they've started with is a list of books that have already received complaints in the past about you know, objectionable material in those books. And so they are then feeding these books to AI software to scan the material and determine if, in fact, the book violates the law, in which case it would presumably be banned from school libraries. This includes books like The Handmaid's Tale. I'm pretty sure that one's going to get banned, knowing some of the scenes that are in that book. However, you know, that's it's not even ironic. It's just sort of like predicted by the book itself. Uh, the state government is probably viewing it as a good thing because The Handmaid's Tale is a book that really lays out what happens when a government gets authority over stuff like bodily autonomy. And, you know, you don't want young people being able to read about that and then getting ideas. School is the last place for getting ideas, after all. Sorry, I am ranting even after I said I wasn't going to. Anyway, I just consider it a fresh new hell to be in a world where AI is helping administrators ban books. It's like the evil mirror image universe version of a Reese's peanut butter cup. This is two awful things that go awful together. Okay. Uh, I obviously have become a little um, overwrought with emotion. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll talk about some more stories, including a couple more AI ones. Working remotely where you are, shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. 
and you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. So many years ago, I did a Tech Stuff episode about CAPTCHA tests. These are those tests you sometimes encounter on the web that you have to pass to prove you're a human being before you can access whatever is on the other side, right? Like there are a lot of these where you have to click on it in order to complete some transaction or else the system will think that you are a bot and reject it. So researchers say that bots are now better at completing CAPTCHA tests than humans are. And that is a huge problem because the whole main purpose of CAPTCHAs is to create a task that should be relatively easy for most humans to complete, but it should also be really tricky for automated systems to complete it. As CAPTCHAs become harder for people to complete, they become a barrier to legitimate usage, and that's a real problem. And as they become easier for bots to complete, well, obviously they have no use at all from that standpoint, at least not for their stated purpose. This is not the first time we've seen this happen, by the way. The whole history of CAPTCHA is one that's kind of like a seesaw. Developers will create automated programs. They get better at solving certain CAPTCHA tests. And then CAPTCHA test developers will come up with a new approach to CAPTCHAs in order to trip up this new generation of bots. 
So in a way, CAPTCHAs have played a really important part in the evolution of artificial intelligence. But beyond this adversarial approach to machine learning, the research points out that bots have fewer barriers to do stuff that we generally frown upon. Like we typically put these CAPTCHA things in place for a reason. Like we don't want automated algorithms or systems to be able to game the system in some way. So that can include things like using bots that can defeat CAPTCHAs in an effort to access all the pages in a website and then scrape all the data for whatever purpose, or to pose as a legitimate customer on an online marketplace and then post fake reviews for various products and then artificially driving that product's review scores up or down, right? Like you could have someone pay to downvote a competitor's product so that your product looks better in comparison. You know, you could also use it to try and boost your own product scores. These are issues that are known and are happening. And one of the reasons why CAPTCHAs are, are being used. The Independent reports that researchers put CAPTCHA tests to the, you know, test and had people and bots try to complete different CAPTCHAs. And people did significantly worse on those tests than the bots did. They took more time to complete the tests and they were less accurate than the bots. The bots were able to, to breeze through some of those challenges in less than a second with like close to 100% accuracy. So the real take home here is that CAPTCHAs no longer do the job they were intended to do, or at least ostensibly intended to do. Uh, and in my mind, that means we should just ditch CAPTCHAs and come up with a different approach. Uh, however, I should also note that some companies, such as Google, have relied on humans completing CAPTCHAs not because that was a way to prevent bots from getting access to stuff, but rather to help Google train its own AI models, right? Like there was the time where you would be presented with words, scanned words from a, a scanned book, and you would have to identify what that word was. And the reason for that was not so that Google could ne necessarily say, okay, you're definitely a human, but to train its technology to be better able to scan text and interpret it. So sometimes CAPTCHAs aren't really there as a safeguard against bots, but rather a method to train bots to be even smarter than they already are. And we're still on AI. So researchers at Purdue University have studied ChatGPT's performance regarding coding. They took a very specific approach. They submitted to ChatGPT 517 different questions that they pulled from the website Stack Overflow. So in case you're not familiar with Stack Overflow, that's a place for programmers to go in order to learn and to share knowledge and tips. And you can ask questions of the community and then receive answers from them. It's kind of like a programmer specific version of Quora or rest in peace, Yahoo Answers. So the researchers took questions from Stack Overflow they gathered all these questions from the community and they submitted those questions to chat GPT in order to see what chat GPT said. And they said that more than half of chat GPT's answers, 52% of them included at least some inaccuracies, you know, some being totally inaccurate to some that were just like partly inaccurate. They also said 77% of chat GPT's answers were overly verbose which again makes me wonder if I am actually ChatGPT. The researcher said the inaccurate answers 
indicated that about half the time, like 54% of the time when ChatGPT gave incorrect answers, it seemed to be because ChatGPT didn't really understand what the question was actually asking. So in other words, it's possible ChatGPT could have produced a correct answer if it had been able to parse what the question asker wanted to know in the first place. It's just ChatGPT didn't understand the question and so gave an inappropriate or incorrect response. Uh, all of this is not to say that ChatGPT is completely useless when it comes to helping programmers code. It might be very useful, but it does require a lot of editorial oversight, just like with the writing of articles, like I had mentioned before. Uh, but it could potentially speed things up if it if it's understanding the prompts properly and not hallucinating, which those are big ifs. But like it, it, the researchers were even quick to say this isn't to suggest that AI doesn't have a place here. It's just to remind ourselves that, you know, the way you word questions matters, the way that chat GPT interprets questions matters. And then we can't just assume that any answers provided are uh, magically correct and accurate. Okay, moving off of AI, let's talk about Apple. So back in March 2020, just as the world was starting to shut down in the face of COVID, Apple agreed to a $500 million settlement. So the heart of the matter here was a class action lawsuit that accused Apple of purposefully slowing down older iPhone models performance, uh, presumably in an effort to push people to upgrade to newer models. Uh, Apple admitted that it had slowed performance down on older iPhone models back in 2017, but the company said it wasn't in an effort to make people go out and buy a new iPhone. Instead, they said they had to do it because updates to the iOS meant that older phones would potentially shut down spontaneously, you know, would enter into a, an issue where they would shut down or they would burn through their battery life too quickly unless Apple artificially made them work slower. But it made people upset, Apple customers upset, and around 3 million claimants joined this class action lawsuit which Apple, again, ultimately settled in March of 2020. And now, finally, three years after the settlement, Apple will be sending checks out to the people who were part of the lawsuit. Uh, the checks come out to be about $65 per claim, because, again, it was like 3 million claims and a $500 million settlement fee. And uh, part of the reason for the long delay has nothing to do with Apple's uh, behavior. It's not that Apple was dragging its heels. Uh, part of the issue is that a couple of claimants out of those 3 million were dissatisfied with the settlement and they appealed it to the ninth U S circuit court of appeals, but ultimately the court ruled against that appeal. So now after many years, those checks should be heading out the door. So you should keep on the lookout if you had signed up to be one of the claimants in that lawsuit. Last week, I talked about how Saudi Arabia was following in the EU's footsteps, requiring all smartphone manufacturers to include a USB-C charging port starting in 2025. Well, now the EU has passed similar rules that will require all smartphones to have replaceable batteries 
starting in 2027. So like the USB-C rules, this seems to me to be you know, more or less specifically targeting Apple, not just Apple. Apple's not the only company that makes it impossible to replace a smartphone's battery. In fact, you know, my Android phone is the same. I can't replace the battery on my Android phone. Uh, but Apple just has this reputation for protecting its proprietary approach to smartphones and creating kind of a closed off ecosystem that requires you to work with Apple to make any repairs or maintenance to your own devices. And that's part of what is being targeted here. It's also an effort to cut down on things like e-waste. But here's the thing is that while that may be an element, like the control part of the ecosystem is probably an element for companies like Apple to lock away those batteries. It's not the only reason for it. Part of the aesthetic for modern smartphones is to try and make them as slim as possible. But in order to do that, you have to cram all the components of the smartphone into a very tiny form factor. And while you can miniaturize a lot of stuff in smartphones, batteries are one of the things you can't easily miniaturize. But this typically means that it's not really practical or sometimes even possible to make replaceable batteries a thing because you've crammed everything into such a small form factor that you just can't access the battery or disengage it easily from the rest of the phone. It's all just it's it's kind of built into itself. So mandating that all smartphones have to have replaceable batteries, ones that are replaceable by the end user, no less. We're not just talking about taking it into a shop and having it swapped out. The end user is supposed to be able to replace these batteries. Well, that means that companies will have to move away from designs that end up having these compact layouts that would make it difficult or impossible to replace the battery. They're going to have to go with a different approach. And that could mean that we're going to start seeing some chunkier smartphones in the EU starting around 2027 or so. Also, uh, I should mention this rule doesn't just apply to smartphones. It actually applies to any battery operated device. So, you know, things like laptops and stuff will also have to have replaceable uh, batteries. Even electric bikes, which are also popular in the EU, will have to have these replaceable batteries. Okay. I've got a few more stories to cover before we wrap up. Let's take another quick break and we'll be back with some more news. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. 
But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and I've got another class action lawsuit to bring up. This one is against HP. So claimants in California, uh, and I think other places as well, but I know the lawsuit is, is taking place in the state of California. They have sued HP, saying the company was purposefully restricting customers from using all-in-one printers if the toner ran down. So you run out of ink, and then suddenly your all-in-one printer just becomes a giant paperweight. So you wouldn't be able to even use the non-printing functions on one of these machines. Like you wouldn't be able to scan a document to create like a PDF or you wouldn't be able to use it to send a fax, which doesn't require any ink in the first place. And that was the basis of the complaint is that HP was locking these functions away in an effort to force people to buy expensive toner, even if they didn't need the printer for the purposes of printing. Uh, also, they argued that HP failed to disclose that this is what would happen in the device's documentation. 
So HP filed a motion to dismiss this lawsuit, and now a judge in California has denied that motion. So the lawsuit may proceed. Uh, Earlier, when this lawsuit was first filed against HP, a judge actually did dismiss the case because uh, the claim was that the, the plaintiffs had failed to make an actual legal claim against HP. They had complaints, but not a legal claim. But then the plaintiffs amended their motion and that one held up to scrutiny. And that's what's going to move forward. This still doesn't mean that HP will ultimately be found to have acted in the wrong, but it does mean that they're going to have to face some tough questions in court. Last week, California authorities gave two companies, Waymo, which is owned by Google's parent company, Alphabet, and Cruise, which is owned by General Motors, the authority to operate self-driving robo-taxi services around the clock in San Francisco. And then Cruise promptly created a traffic jam in the North Beach neighborhood of San Francisco. Sad trombone. All right, so according to reports from San Francisco, for some reason, several of Cruise's self-driving cars, as many as 10 of them at a time, came to a stop around the Vallejo Street in North Beach, San Francisco. Vallejo just always makes me think of the Zodiac Killer. Uh, But the Zodiac Killer had nothing to do with these cars just coming to a stop. Uh, Some of those cars had passengers inside them. And so the passengers were stuck inside a non-moving car on the street for about 15 minutes. The cars did turn on their hazard lights, so at least there's that. So what the heck happened? Well, representatives at Cruise say that it looks like a nearby music festival was the problem. Uh, The cars were not listening to the groovy tunes. Instead, there was an excess of cell phone activity in the area, and it was kind of clogging up the, you know, the airwaves. And so all that interference made it difficult for the vehicles to access their navigation features. And so they kind of went into protective turtle mode. It was not an auspicious start to the driverless taxi revolution, I would say. Now, the rules in California state that Waymo is not allowed to charge customers for taxi rides unless a safety driver is also in the vehicle. If it's a driverless vehicle and there's no safety driver, Waymo can't charge for rides. They could give them for free, but they wouldn't be able to charge. Cruise has a slightly different deal. It can charge for driverless trips without a safety driver, but only between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Uh, anytime outside of those hours, if there's not a safety driver in the car, the ride is free. Or if they do have a safety driver present in the vehicle, they can charge just anytime. GM has said that the long-term plan is to quote unquote blanket cities like San Francisco with driverless vehicles, which kind of makes the point for a lot of people who oppose these policies. They argue that this just really means that we're just going to end up with a lot more vehicles on city streets. That's not going to alleviate traffic. It's going to make it worse. And while, you know, the the argument might be made that the purpose is to convince people to not drive their own vehicles on streets, the proponents for change are saying that's not what we need. We don't need like self-driving cars to do that. What we need is to make cities easier to get around for pedestrians and bicyclists and stuff, uh, which is actually taking more cars off the street as opposed to going driverless and having even more vehicles circle streets. So yeah, uh, not a great story to come out of the early days of driverless robo taxis in San Francisco. 
Now, our last full story has to do with video games and modding communities. So you may be aware there are folks who love to create code that modifies existing video games in some way, right? They might allow you to get access to abilities and tools that uh, developers have, but players are not meant to have, and then do all sorts of stuff. Maybe it even changes the game fundamentally or adds new content created by modders, that kind of stuff. Some video game companies actually encourage these communities. Some even work with them to create like a storefront where the game producer and the modders can both generate revenue from those mods. But then you've got Rockstar Games, the creators of the Grand Theft Auto series. Rockstar Games has often taken a more adversarial approach to the modding community. So back in 2015, the company banned a whole bunch of members of a mod group called 5M. Rockstar said that the group had been developing code that could make it possible for folks to pirate the game. Uh, What the modders had actually done is they had created mods that would allow people to play in an alternate version of Grand Theft Auto online. So that's like an ongoing product that Rockstar offers. But the mods 5M made made it possible to run a separate instance of Grand Theft Auto online, one not overseen by Rockstar and one that could have lots of different mods in it. Plus, people who had a pirated copy of Grand Theft Auto would be able to access this alternative version of Grand Theft Auto Online. So Rockstar Games says, oh, you're encouraging people to pirate the game. So we're we're banning you from our different uh, uh, you know, forums and stuff. But now Rockstar has acquired a group called CFX.RE, which consists of, you guessed it, the team behind 5M. So now the dreaded pirates are part of the crew. Yar. They can take down the system from within. Uh, This is a pretty dramatic turn of events because back in 2015, there were reports that Rockstar had gone so far as to actually send private investigators out to the homes of people who were part of 5M and to essentially intimidate them. Uh, But in the years since 2015, 5M has maintained this alternative online play space for Grand Theft Auto players that reached uh, a maximum of around 250,000 concurrent players back in 2021. So I guess Rockstar came around to the old philosophy of if you can't beat them, acquire them. Now, before I head off, I do have a recommended article I think you should check out. It's on Tech Dirt. It's written by Mike Masnick. The article is titled RIAA Piles on the Effort to Kill the World's Greatest Library Sue's Internet Archive for making it possible to hear old 78s. That is a very long headline. Uh, But yeah, the story talks about how the RIAA, a.k.a. the Recording Industry Association of America, is coming after the Internet Archive because the RIAA objects to folks being able to use Internet Archive to listen to obsolete media. So the 78s reference record albums. That's what the 78s mean. They're they're specific types of record albums, specifically ones that require a playback speed of 78 revolutions per minute. You know, vinyl has experienced a renaissance lately, but you typically find the vinyl records of today falling either into the 33 and a third RPM category or the 45 RPM category. 
Most record players and turntables don't even have the ability to play at 78 RPM. Some do, but a lot don't because 78 RPM albums are pretty darn rare. They are really reaching obsolescence. So there's a possibility that media recorded on 78 albums could be lost forever without this archival approach. So the Internet Archive is all about preserving information, but the RIAA is not crazy about people being able to access stuff without, you know, the industry's total control over it. Anyway, I'm biased when it comes to stuff about the RIAA because that organization has brought the hammer down with unnecessary force multiple times throughout the history of the Internet. Like the Napster story is ridiculous. Uh, but you should read this article on Tech Dirt to get the full story and maybe get a deeper appreciation for what the folks at Internet Archive are trying to do. And that's it for the Tech News for Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. I hope you're all well, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to Brand New on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.